0: today. Now, does anybody, just a wild guess, just, does anybody know what the fifth commandment is? Abigail Poole, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Honor, your Honor your father and mother. That's awesome. Yes. Oh, wow. That's great. That's perfect. And I just lost my place because I, I clapped. But, um, I, am a, I, I want to talk to you really quick about the Ten Commandments before we head out because this is really important. Did you know that the Fifth Commandment is one of the most important commandments and God wrote it with you in mind? Did you know that? It's really important. The first four commandments deal with our relationship with God, but number five, the first one that it deals with people, other people, he writes to children. Did you know that? He says this, um, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. It even says in the passage that we're talking about today that if you honor and obey your father and mother, that it will go well with you, that God will be with you. So what does it mean to obey? Anybody? What does it mean to obey? Yeah, if your mom and dad said it and you do something good, you obey them. That's that's good. What about honor? What does it mean to honor? That's all right. Good job, Amos. That's that's great. Trip. Do what they say. say. So it's good. Yeah? Respect. That's a great word for it. To honor your parents. So to obey your parents is to do what they ask you to do. Uh, But to, to honor your parents is to do what they ask you to do with a respectful heart, a kind heart. So God said this to you guys today. He said this, to honor your father and your mother, and he will be with you. It will go well with you. That is a promise. So if you obey your mom and dad, who are you ultimately obeying? God. Who are you ultimately honoring? God, so I want to encourage you guys today when you go out and you're going to study and all that when you go home You're going to honor and obey your mom and dad because it makes God Smile, right? Okay. Now. I need your help. Will you guys please stand up and turn around and look and wave at your parents? So before you guys go out, I want to I want to ensure, encourage the parents today today. We're talking about uh, parent and children relationships in Matthew 28, 18-20, eight, talks about the Great Commission. To go, therefore, into all the world and make disciples. Make disciples of all peoples. All peoples. Say, pantata. You guys say, pantata. pantata. And say, ethne. ethne. That means everyone. Everybody. Go and make disciples of everyone, including those here. And I need to say this, before we send these kids out, that the most important thing that will ever occur in their life is whether they will be discipled or not. Some parents want to do great things. Send them to right schools. Teach them a great, uh, a great baseball swing. We'll teach them how to play golf or something like that. But the most important thing we can do as a parent and as a church is to raise up little disciples. That's the most important thing for these kids. And we're trying to do that as a church. And I know that a lot of you are doing that together. But may we be a church that cherishes children and cherishes Uh, disciple making in our homes. All right, if you're three to four, go in that back corner. If you're five to ten, go over in this corner. Ready, set, go. Thank you. All right. Parents, you can wave to the kids. It's cool. It's all good. And if you have a Bible, please open it up with me. Ooh, that's my Bible. Thank you. If you have a Bible, uh, open it up to uh, Ephesians chapter six. If you have sermon notes, please pull it out. And uh, speaking of families, I love families. Uh, this is uh, going to be such an exciting uh, message for me. I'm pumped. Uh, speaking of families, there's a family that is very dear to us. Who This is their last Sunday. The Adams, Chad and Chastity Adams, along with, with Reese and Maggie. And they had no idea that I'm going to say this, but we love them. Um, they are going to go, and the Lord is leading them to California. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to uh, work at J.H. Ranch. It's a Christian camp. Uh, and uh, Chad is going to be working specifically with um, discipling even kids throughout college age guys throughout the summer. It's a great ministry opportunity. Uh, please come around them and uh, love on them because as a church, as churches, throughout scripture what I see, I don't see people going, I see people being sent. I see people being sent. And it's so important for us to come around them, pray for them, and together send them uh, in, in, into the ministry that the Lord is leading them. so I'm pumped. Uh, uh, again, our sermon notes are kind of filled. So I was telling the people before we did a little prayer and run through that uh, I, I, I write a manuscript. Uh, and I have about, se- it's about seven pages is about a good 40 minute, 30 to 40 minute uh, sermon for me. Today I have about 10 pages, almost 11. So that means I'm going to preach just as long as Josh Poole typically does. So that's just, just how, how it's going to be today. I'm, I'm pumped. Um, we have, just like Jen was saying before, we've been walking through the book of Ephesians, and we kind of slowed down a little bit in chapter 5, talking about Spirit-filled relationships. It comes straight out of do not get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And what does that look like? It looks like submitting to one another. It looks like a, 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 this is what a Spirit-filled wife looks like. Here, this is what a Spirit-filled husband looks like. Last week, this is what a spirit-filled marriage looks like. And today, we come into the parent-children relationship. This is what a spirit-filled family looks like. And the title of the message is Spirit-Filled Family. And I must say on the outset, before we get rolling, before we dig in, that this is a very controversial topic. You wouldn't think so, but uh, many people are much more likely or, or desirous to, uh, to talk about politics and religion and all that stuff than you do dealing with their, par- with their children. Because everybody has an opinion on how to raise their kid. And even more people have opinions on how you should raise your kids. Everybody has an opinion on this. But we need to know that it's not simply, this is not just simply a sermon or a passage on how to be a better parent. Or how to be a better child. Or how to help grow better children. You should, uh, we should know that this is a gospel-infused instruction building upon the theological truths within Ephesians already to reveal ultimately the purpose of the family, the purpose of the family. If you have children, awesome. This message is going to be easily applicable to you. But if you do not have any children, I actually believe this message is for you, in two particular ways. So there's a lot of reasons why people don't have children, but if you do not have a children, you're single, or you just newlyweds, or, or maybe we're barren, or, or maybe you just decided, no, we're just not going to do that. But this, this message is for you in two ways. First of all, you are a child. You are someone's child, right? You are someone's child, and you are commanded to give honor where honor is due scripturally. So this is speaking to you as a child. Second, it is the parent's responsibility to disciple their children, yes. But a body of Christ has been given to surround and charge and help grow the children in the Lord and in discipleship. So if you have no children, we should pray for the children here. We should encourage parents in the Lord. You should reflect lives here at church. You who have no children should reflect lives that are passionate for God and passionate for His gospel. This message is very much for you. It's for everyone. So, without further ado, will you please stand with me? And I'm going to read uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Hear the word of the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of God. Let's pray. God, this is your word, and it is uh, profitable and true and right, and it pierces, it is, as Hebrews says, is living and active, and it pierces to the division of soul, and spirit, joints, and marrow. It gets to the depths of us. We pray that you do that here today. May your word penetrate our heart, and may your word feed us. We are hungry. In your name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I remember it like it was yesterday. I had been a youth pastor. uh, I was a youth pastor, and I had been a youth pastor or worked with youth missions for many, many years by that point and I had many phone calls like this one but I was on the phone with a parent about the state of their daughter. The 17 year old girl had uh, caught on fire for the Lord she was interested in in spiritual things for a few years and then by the time she got 17 like 17 year olds do she began dating someone who was a less than stellar influence. and She started to compromise on some very key things, her language, her entertainment choices, her sensuality and purity. It got worse and it got worse and it got worse. And my phone call to the parents, particularly I was on the phone with this mother, was an attempt to demonstrate concern. As a youth pastor, I cons- concerned for her spiritual walk and to gauge and see how the family was dealing with this, the, the actions of their daughter. I wanted to pray with them and I wanted to pray for them and together call, together with the parents, called the daughter back to repentance and reconciliation with God. And her mother quickly revealed to me what she thought on the matter. She said, I don't really care what she does in her free time or who she does it with so long as she doesn't compromise her opportunities to get into the right college. But what about her, what about her drinking? What about her... The drugs? What about her sensual behavior? What about her clear disregard for God in her life? The authority of God in her life? What about all that? Don't you care about, don't you love, don't you care about her love for the Lord and her salvation? Again, she said, so basically, so long as it doesn't conflict with my plan for her life, don't rock the boat. Pastor, don't rock the boat. Let her live her life. Sad truth is that this came from a mother that was not separate from church, but went to church every Sunday. She was a card-carrying, church-going, Bible-toting, professing Christian. But discipleship wasn't a focus. wasn't a focus in her life. And sadly, this wasn't the first conversation like this that I had. I had many like it. But this one in particular was my last one in youth ministry. I began to reevaluate what is, what is going on. How can we make disciples if the parents don't care about their children being disciples? It's hard. It's hard. Shortly after that, I realized that the design of the home, even among those in the church, has too often been distorted to something else. Distorted. What's the priorities? What's the, what's the design of the home? You see, Scripture, including our passage today, indicates this is in your, in your notes. That the design of the home centers around discipleship. It's for the glory of God you are to raise disciples. You're not to raise good kids who can hit home runs and do great job at, at, at shooting par and can go to the right college. Those are all good things. But the design of the home is centered around discipleship. Scriptures like Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. The very famous Shema. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Teach these things to your children when you lie down, when you get up, when you walk along the way. Impart the truths of Scripture to your children. Disciple your children. Scripture is clear. Spirit-filled families glorify God through growing Spirit-filled disciples period. This might be a little uncomfortable because I'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. There are good things that you prioritize, but if discipleship of your children is not the priority, then it's out of whack. If discipleship, if if you don't have children, if discipleship within the church that you attend is not a priority, then that church's design and, and focus is out of whack. We need to raise up disciples internationally, down the street, and in our homes. Amen? I'm getting passionate. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take a, a, a little bit of a leave of absence. This is going to be my last sermon for a little while. And so that's part of the reason why it's really long, because I'm really, really passionate about this. I'm really excited about this, because this is true. Homes, we, we get, have, I've had people for, for almost two decades coming up to me, even when I was a teenager, they were just like, how do I deal with my child? How do I deal with my child? And I was just a spiky-haired, blonde youth pastor. I had no idea how to deal with your child. But the truth of Scripture stands. Discipleship is the center of your home. It should be. It is the design for your home. Spirit-filled families glorify God by raising Spirit-filled disciples but because design of discipleship in the home has been distorted and perverted and even abandoned by true Christians, then discipleship, the true disciples were not being raised up in the next generation. The, the numbers don't lie in this. I've studied this an awful lot. Um, polls by both Barna and Pew Research estimate that children between the eight, uh, uh, after their first year of college, by the, of their, uh, by the end of their first year in college, 75 to 89% of students who grow up in the church leave the church and leave Christianity by the end of their freshman year in college. Did you know that? These aren't just random kids. These are kids that grow up in the church. All those kids that come up here, conservative estimates say three-fourths of them will walk away from God. Because we're raising kids up. It's scary because we're raising kids up with an exposure to church, an exposure to Christianity, but not raising them up in discipleship. We're not actually discipling them. We're exposing them. Oh, maybe they'll be a good influence at the, at the church. Maybe they'll be a good influence in the, in the children's program. But we're not raising them up as true disciples. It's deathly serious. It's deathly serious. We are literally, literally... Training our children to do what Jesus said in Matthew 7. He says, they say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this in your name? Prophesy in your name, cast out demons, perform many miracles. People who say they're Christian. And he says, depart from me because I didn't know you. We, uh, We are literally training children to do that if we do not disciple them and prioritize discipleship. Because those who know God don't just hear the word of God or exposed to the word of God, but they do the word of God. At the end of Matthew 7, Jesus says that. Those who hear the word of mine and put them into practice build their house on the rock. Those who hear these words of mine, but they don't put them into practice, they don't obey them, they're not discipled. they build their house on sand. Try building your house out on the beaches in 38. It will collapse. And that's why 75 to 90% of students Children, when they graduate and they go off on their own, they don't have a foundation because they weren't discipled. This is definitely important. So very important. And I I can even throw out scarier statistics like uh, generational succession and birth rate. I mean, talking about birth rates all over Europe and all that stuff, the people that are the, the highest birth rate at nearly seven children per family is the religion of Islam. And they have moved into the nation of France. This is an example. The nation of France is at 1.4 children per family. That means in a few short generations, France will be a predominantly Muslim country. Do you know that? America, we dropped from 2.1 to 1.9. And with the 75 to 90% of children who walk away from the Lord... That means in a few short generations, we are going to be a landscape. The American Christian world is going to be a landscape like Europe. Because we don't care, but we make fun of people who have a whole bunch of kids. Oh, don't you figure it out how that happens yet? Yeah. And we make fun of people who have a lot of kids. But people who have a lot of kids who disciple them, praise God, hallelujah, amen, do it. Be fruitful, multiply. You're making disciples. I want that. I want that. But why? why? I, don't, I don't believe it's bleak, just so you know. Our hope is in the Lord, and He will continue to grow His church. It just might be in a context and a culture where honor and obe- obedience might be a little bit more of a priority. Doesn't, there's nothing in the book of Revelation that says America is going to be the mainstay of Christianity. It starts from the home, and it starts from discipleship. We must do two things. We must repent. And we must reclaim. We must repent from allowing our homes to be about ourselves, to be about our marriages, to be about our children and their hobbies. Or anything other than God's glory in, dis- in, in disciple making. We need to repent from that. And reclaim discipleship as the utmost priority in our home by God's design. But what scripture is clear on is that we must develop the priority of God's design for our kids and parenting. Thankfully, by God's grace, our passage today reveals both the children's part and the parents' part to a spirit-filled family. Are you interested in the spirit-filled family? I hope you are. Are you hungry for God's word? Awesome. Let's go. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for it is right Honor your father and mother. this is the first commandment with the promise. Children, verses one through three. Before we dig in, I believe it's worthwhile to, to mention the incredible value of children. Valuing children at, the to, at this time of this letter was completely countercultural. Many Greco-Roman, world, many in the Greco-Roman world would put kids in trash heaps to fend for themselves, or maybe even be stolen and used as slaves or prostitutes. Jesus, though. What did he do with children? Six particular passages, but Jesus welcomed children. He cared for children. He loved children. And so because Jesus welcomed children, the church, the first century church welcomed children. They loved children. Matthew 19, 14, Jesus said, let the children come to me. In other words, don't prevent the children from learning about me and developing relationship with God. They are capable of great things even now and he went as far as to protect, protect children. You remember what he said? If anyone would cause one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better for a millstone, big concrete stone, to be hung around their neck and gangster deep, like Chicago style thrown and drowned into the ocean. It's better for that you to drown at the bottom of Lake Michigan with a concrete around your neck than to cause a child to stumble and turn away from God. That's Jesus himself protecting children. And Paul here follows suit. He expects children to be present. When, when this letter was written to the church in Ephesus, he, he says children. That means he's expecting children to be there in church and saying, children, be obedient. I think it was a radical, it's a radical change because um, what's really interesting to me is that throughout the household code, Paul always mentions the weaker one, the less prestigious one first. Wives, then husbands. Children, then fathers. Slaves, then masters. He's adding value to what the culture did not value. We're in a weird position in America, right? Where we idolize youth and yet, also treat them like they're, they're not able to soak up the truths of the word at church. We idolize youth because we want to be like youth. We, we marginalize the elderly. And so we're like, oh, I want to be youthful, but I don't want to be too youthful because then they're, just, they're, not, they're not old enough yet. Paul values them, he says, no, you can learn. Even here at church, children, obey your parents. This is the first command with the promise. This demonstrates inherent value. Children are valuable to God and to his church. And we continue to read, they themselves are charged with responsibility, beginning with action and then, and then moving to attitude. Action and then attitude. So number one is be obedient. Children, obey your parents and the Lord for his right. The first directive for children uses standard Greek verb meaning to obey, suggests an ongoing obedience. This verb means to come under, to listen it's, it's the same root word that uh, the, there's a Jewish uh, tradition in marriage called a chuppah and, where you, and it means it's a tent and you, when you get married you come under the chuppah and you get married. It's the same context to come under and listen. Obey your parents to come under and to listen and it's an ongoing thing. My son, Proverbs 6.20 My son, keep your father's commands and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Colossians 3.20 It's a parallel verse to this. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. If children want to please the Lord, then they must obey their parents. And this is an authority issue. God places excuse me, those in authority over us, and our consistent nature fights against that. Even now, as I'm saying you, even adult, to, to, to honor or obey your parents, we, all, we start with the yeah buts. Right? The yeah, but what about this? Or, yeah, but, what about that? They don't deserve it. Yeah, but, they're not fun. Oh, yeah, but, they don't make good decisions for me. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. The only yeah, but that is legit is if they ask you to sin. Then don't. Because you're ultimately, when you obey your parents, you're ultimately obeying God. He's the supreme one that you're obeying. So if your parent or whoever is an authority, a governmental figure, anybody asks you to sin to go contrary to what the scriptures say you have the biblical obligation to respectfully say no so uh, that's the only yeah but that has credence every other yeah but, yeah but they're not mature enough I'm more mature than my dad yeah, yeah but I'm more mature than my mom yeah but they don't make good decisions for themselves how can they make good decisions for me yeah, but, yeah, but we are called to honor those who are in authority over us and to obey them uh, but why? Oh, I like this. But why? It's very clear. It says, it says the why right there. For this is, this is the interactive portion of the message. For it, this is right. It's pleasing to the Lord. It is right. It is, or it's, this is good. It is good. We obey not because of our parents and in and of themselves deserve it, but because it brings joy to the heart of God. If you have any goal or ambition in life, may it be to bring joy to God's heart. I pray that for you. God takes obedience seriously. You want to know how how serious he takes obedience, children's obedience? All you have to do is is read back in Deuteronomy, right? Okay. Deuteronomy 21, fun reading for yourself. If a son is rebellious or stubborn, the men of the city are to go and stone him. And I mean the old kind of stone, not the new kind of stone. I mean the old kind of stoning. It's like a real stoning. Thankfully, the old covenant law has been accomplished through Christ, but the severity of it remains. Even in the New Testament, Romans chapter 1, continues to de- it, demonstrates, it, de- it demonstrates this, this par- the severity of parent-children relationship, speaking about those who are giving over to depravity. They're depraved. They are, uh, they are senseless. Uh, they, are, they, they, they disobey their parents senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Those who are depraved, God gives them over to the desires of their heart and they do all these horrible things and then they disobey their parents. Obedience to parents is a God-honoring, God-pleasing thing to do and it is a sign that you are a lover of God. And our passage today says obedience to parents is the right thing to do. It pleases God. So, practical tip for those who have children. Um, and those who don't have children to, to remind us of these. Here's a practical tip: What does obedience look like within the home? Right? Three things. I want to. This is a practical tip. Right? It's in the book of Second Hesitations. So, that's a Bible joke. Um, uh, do what we ask, when we ask, with a kind heart. That's what obedience looks like in the home. Do what you do. What we as parents ask, do it all the way, and do it when we ask it, but do it with a kind heart. And that is what leads us into the second, not just the action, but the attitude, the third one, with a kind heart, with a respectful attitude. That's how you honor your parents. Do what we ask when we ask with a kind heart, with a respectful attitude. So that, that, that leads us to show honor. Children, obey your parents and Lord for this is right. Honor your father and your mother. Honor your, This is the first commandment with a prom, promise. First, we, like I said at the beginning, we don't honor very well. If you're in the military you have uh, a head start on the rest of us in this because most of us were born in a culture that really honor wasn't highly thought of. I love watching honor movies like, you know, Last Samurai and all that stuff. I just, I, it's the honor culture is just so cool. Um, I just love that. Um, but we don't live in an honor culture uh, and we have a, a respect issue for authority and a respect issue for the elderly. Honor begins with attitude. It's not just doing what is asked of you, but doing it with a respectful, kind heart. Throwing tantrums when asked to do something. Huffing and puffing. It does not bring honor to yourself, it does not bring honor to your parents, and it does not bring honor to God. Scripture is filled with commands to honor. 1 Peter 2:17, honor everyone. 1 Timothy 5, 17. Let the elders who rule be considered of double honor. Romans 13, 7, honor. Give honor to where honor is due. And Romans 12, 10, outdo one another in showing honor. To honor our parents means to love them, to regard them high and show them respect. While we may grow up and move out uh, from under their roof and uh, the direct obedience is a lot smaller, honor is eternal you as a grown adult are to show honor to your parents. Simply put, this might be uh, pretty harsh, but you show, show me a child that is not submissive to their parents' authority, and I will show you a child who is not yielded to the Spirit of God. Show a child who is not respectful to their parents' position, and I will show you a child who is not submitted or yielded to the Spirit of God. Number three, receive God's promise. So for children, be obedient, show honor, and receive God's promise. There's something so wonderful in this that we can't miss. It's at the end of verse 2 and into verse 3. This is the first command with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. As I said it to the kids before, uh, I think this is awesome. This is the first commandment with a promise. And it points back to Exodus chapter 20, verse 12 in the Ten Commandments. Honoring the parents is the fifth command. And it is the only command with a promise out of the Ten Commandments. The first four deal with your vertical relationship with God. The second, the the, number five through ten, the last six deal with your horizontal relationship with others. Loving God, loving others. So when Jesus said love God and love others he's saying, they're like, which is the greatest command? He's like, love God, the first four. And, and, oh, and also the, the last six. He's saying all ten are good, and they're all important. But honoring the parents is the fifth commandment. So, it's like this. So, the first command God says, I am your God, you don't get another one, right? Do I get a promise for that God? No. Just do it. Honor me. Don't honor another God. Second command don't make anything that looks like me, don't fashion any idols. Can I get a promise with that God? No, you don't get a promise. Just do it. Just do it. Third command, don't bear my name falsely. Don't misuse my name. Can I get a promise with that God? No. Honor my name. Do it. What about the the fourth one? Uh, Remember my day. Don't mess with my day. Don't mess with the Sabbath. Okay, if I do that, do I get a promise, God? No. No do it. I love you. Well, what about the fifth command? Honor your father and mother. Do I get a promise? Yes. If you honor your father and mother, I promise it will go well with you. What? It's the first command with a promise. All of them, it just makes sense that God gives us commandments and we go, yes, I need to obey, I need to follow, but man, he's like, oh, this is so important? Yes. I promise. I promise to you. Brothers and sisters, obey your parents. Honor them. And God promises that it will go well with you. I'm not, like, into, not into the whole prosperity theology and prosperity gospel type of thing, but when Scripture is clear that if you do something like this and He promises, I get super excited. Yes, follow, and, follow God's command on this and it will go well with you. And then that leads us into uh, the second section, so about parents, verse four. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers. And, And fathers, and fathers. It says three things to me. Number one, fathers take the lead. Fathers take the lead. You are to take the lead in this. This isn't something you just pass off down the line. Oh, that's her thing. She deals with the church stuff. She deals with the education stuff. She deals with the church stuff. She deals with the kids stuff. Fathers, take the lead. This, does this mean that, w- that children shouldn't listen to their mothers? No, I just read in Proverbs. Honor your, your mo- fathers and mothers and also listen, t- listen to your mother's instructions. Scripture is riddled with commands for children to obey their mothers. And mothers are susceptible also susceptible to provoking their children to anger as well. But this is clear. Fathers are to take responsibility. Um, on the back of your worship guide, I, have, I, I, I wrote a number of you in this church who I love very much and I respect very much in your parenting abilities. I respect so many of you. I just ran out of... Uh, I was just trying to type in names. But... Uh, um, Uh, Some of you wrote back with some awesome quotes and some awesome suggestive resources for those who are parents. But one of them is very clear on priorities. The third one, priorities. The husband must assume his role of the headship of his family, the spiritual leader. Fathers take lead. And this is from one of you who said this. A very respectable person, too. Because not everybody's really respect. No, I'm just kidding, sorry. Fathers. Fathers, take responsibility. Fathers, it is God's goal. It is, if God's glory is the goal of discipleship and, discipleship, and discipleship is his design for the home, then you must plan to disciple your children. It doesn't just accidentally happen. Oops. Oh, great. they are great disciples. Oh, I wasn't even around. How did that happen? You don't fall into discipleship. You plan for it. You, it's premeditated. I don't have time. I'm just not good at organizing, right? Well, you're doing a pretty good job of organizing your fantasy football team. You do a great job scheduling your hunting seasons. Plan this. Put it in ICAL. Like I'm going to disciple my kids in this truth. I'm going to read the word. We're gonna we're gonna sing songs. We're gonna listen to worship songs and the excellencies of him. We're going to do prayer walks. Disciple your children. Show them what it's like to be a disciple yourself. Take lead in this. Stay up at night, planning the next day if you have to, but fathers, take lead. Uh, Number two. These two are, the next two are two uh, commands. Uh, One is a negative and one is a positive. So avoid provocation. For some reason, Paul includes this command. Don't provoke them to anger. As I said, this could be said of mothers too, but sociologically, it's just true. Men have a uh, propensity to lead by force and by harshness. Women are a little more slower to do that. That doesn't mean men are bad, by the way. But we need to be aware to not provoke our children to anger. What does provoking your children to anger look like? Well, it looks like hypocrisy, for one, to say one thing and live a different way, to compare them to someone else, say another child, or to someone else's child, even worse. Disciplining inconsistently provokes children to anger. Failing to express approval, even over the small things, that provokes children to anger or bitterness or discouragement. Not expressing your love for them. And uh, the one where I am, I failed. Disciplining too harshly and too quickly. We are called to discipline. (laughs) But there's been times where I thought that I've ruined Asher because I spanked out of anger and I've spanked too harshly at times. Because I do it because of his disobedience affected me more than I care about drawing him to the Lord. I cared about what he did against me. And he gets angry and he gets discouraged and he got scared. By God's grace, I've been challenged in that by my wife and by the Holy Spirit. And over the last year, it's been different. But I've been, I need to ask your forgiveness if you've seen me do that. Discipline is important, but disciplining too harshly is not. We do not advocate abuse here. Um, If you want to know what discipline looks like, I think one of the clearest quotes from someone in our church regarding discipline is on the back. Discipline, I think our model should be God's model for discipline. Our only aim is correction and restoration. It should never shame our children. That's clear and it's beautiful. God help us in this. When this happens, when all these things happen, uh, children grow angry. And in the words of Colossians, the same passage, they become discouraged in the Lord. Number three, prioritize discipleship. Discipline and instruction. That's what he says. Discipline and instruction. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What is discipline and what is instruction together? Discipleship. That's what discipleship is. This d- discipline, as in correctly steering them to the right path and instructing them in the things of the Lord. Discipline and instruction. You can't just shove things into their head without disciplining them and, and correcting their path. Rudder adjustments. If you just shove things into their head, then they're going to be a really, really knowledgeable atheist. But discipline your children in the Lord. Discipline and pointing them towards the path of righteousness, towards the beauty of Jesus. Prioritize discipleship. So this is full circle in a sermon, right? We started off that the design of the home is, is centered around discipleship. We'll prioritize it. And fathers, take lead in this. He moves from a negative, avoid provocation, to a positive. Discipline them. Bring them up, it says, which means to feed, to nourish, to provide for them, not just physically, but more importantly, spiritually. John Calvin says that your children should be fondly cherished. As that was what he says about this. Train and discipline and instruct your children. And this carries the idea of counseling and teaching, warning. How can you teach your kids what you don't know? Get in the Word. Be a disciple yourself. They are your disciples. Mothers, fathers, your children are your disciples. Discipline. Hebrews 12, 5 through 11, it basically says God disciplines us for our benefit. It is for our good that we are disciplined. It, it should be, when you discipline your children, it should be for their good, not for their remorse or their shame, as it says on the back of that paper. It should be for their good. Do you discipline in a way that brings them, that they know that this is a good thing that's happening? I need to, I need to remember, I need to remember to, to please God, to obey, to honor. Discipline your children. Show them Jesus. Don't incite fear. Um, he, Jesus is more important than their athletic prowess, more important than their academic achievements, more important than getting into the right college, more important than any decision in your life. Disciple your children. And I need to say this right before we end. It's not the job of a youth pastor to disciple your children. It's not the job of a pastor and it's not the job of a children's minister. We have a youth ministry. Come tonight. Eh. We have children's program. We pray that your kids go into it and that they, are lear- that they learn and they grow in, in the knowledge of the Lord. But it's your responsibility, your God-given responsibility to train up your own children. Show, show me a father. Again, simply put, show me a father who provokes his children And fails to instruct his children and abdicates his responsibility and I will show you a father who has not yielded to the spirit of God. That's what this whole passage in chapter 5 into 6, spirit filled, being spirit filled, spirit filled children honor and obey their parents out of reverence for God. And that's the big idea at the end while spirit-filled parents disciple their children for the glory of God. Now, final thoughts before we end, uh, just three really quick. Number one, I want to encourage you (laughs) that God's word is sufficient. God's word is sufficient. And I I, need to say that not Dr. Phil, Lord help us, or Oprah, or anything else. God's word is sufficient. That doesn't mean that you can't use other resources. We put down some pretty cool resources down there for you to have to look at. I love, we love uh, New City Catechism. Uh, Haley and I use that, and we use the app and all that stuff, and teaching them to, to memorize things and everything. But, uh, uh, and if you're a father, circle the last two, specifically family shepherds, and you will uh, realize that your, your command as a father is to shepherd your family. But anyway, God's word is sufficient. Impart the word to your kids. The word is valuable and important and sufficient for everything, for everything. If you read a resource, any of these resources, if you read any resource out there, or you hear Dr. Phil or or Dr. Oprah or Dr. anybody, Dr. Oz say, or The View, uh, say anything that points people to something in addition to the Bible, oh yeah, the Bible's good, but and, no, 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 no. All these should point to the truths of Scripture and say the Scripture is sufficient. This is just me unpacking it. Every resource should point to the Scripture. The Scripture is sufficient for everything you need. Get into it and learn it. I love what one of, one of you wrote uh, about priorities. Make Scripture reading together a priority. Once everyone wakes up, it, this is what the, their routine, We usually start the day at breakfast reading and sometimes memorizing portions of Scripture and discussing it. We usually sing a hymn or pray for unreached people and or read about a Christian missionary. That's, what? I mean, come on, really? Yeah. They're taking discipleship seriously. The Word of God is sufficient. Turn to the Word of God. The second is God's people are support. God's people are support. The people here should not be uh, getting in the way of your your discipleship. They should be encouraging you in it. Ask for help. And if they encourage you through some correction, receive it lovingly. If it's loving, filter it through the scripture. But if a a person who loves you and cares about you comes up to you and says, Hey, I see some blind spots with how your children are. Our first reaction is to go, uh, excuse me, take the plank out of your own eye type of thing. Receive it. Receive it and filter it if it's of the Lord. Because this is where this should happen. You don't want somebody at school coming up to you in the public school system or anywhere coming up to you, oh, you know, I don't really care about your child, but I notice how bad of a parent you are. And you just, The people here, we need to challenge and encourage each other and, and spur each other on towards good works. Ask for help. So if there are people in this room that you think are awesome at parenting, go to them. Talk to them. Ask them for help. Say, will you meet with us? Will you read a resource with us? Number three, finally. The goal of all this, the goal of discipleship is to have amazing athletes. (laughs) It's a joke. Everybody's like, that's not funny. But I think it's funny. The goal of family and discipleship is that you have brainiac surgeons. The goal of all this, of discipleship, of family discipleship, is God's glory. God's glory. We do this for Him. So parents, as your children learn to obey and honor you, may you be a, a family, Maybe you be a parent that learns to obey and honor God for His glory. This is all for His glory. I pray that over your families and over your future families and over your future spouses or kids or, 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 or those, or, or your grandkids. And I pray that over you guys. That discipleship becomes the, the, the design of the home. All for God's glory. Spirit-filled children honor and obey their parents out of reverence for God while spirit-filled parents disciple their children for the glory of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. May, we, may He give us grace to do this together. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you, we praise you, we thank you for this opportunity to worship you. I pray if there's anything in this that you would have for us that it remains in our hearts, that we meditate on it, that you challenge us where we need to be challenged, encourage us when we need to be encouraged, Sanctify us, Lord, for your glory and our children's good. Uh, We come to you knowing that we can't do this ourselves. And that this isn't a sermon to say, let's pick up our our big boy pants and and march forward and, and, and do it ourselves. Lord, this is something we can't do. We need you to do this in our families. We need you to do this in our hearts. And we do this for your glory, God. We, we, we seek to be a spirit-filled family at church and a spirit-filled individual families, where your gospel is elevated and your glory is on display. Thank you. Thank you for sending your son to take away the sins of the world. All for your glory. We love you. In your name, amen. We have the opportunity to come to the, uh, the table today for, to partake in communion as we do every single Sunday. Uh, and I pray t- today that this is a time where you can think and meditate on what the Lord has done for you and done for us collectively. Um, so how we go about doing this is we uh, stand up, we usually go around the outside, we come forward, we take the bread, we dip it that's bro- uh, a symbol of God's body broken for you. You dip it into the cup, Um, a symbol of God's blood shed for you. And then we come back down the middle, go to our rows and remain standing. We'll sing together and then we'll come back up and partake in the body and blood of Christ together. chapter 11, verse 23, says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And we rest in his promises. Amen. Let's sing together. Amen. Amen. Let's praise the Lord together. I love it. You may not have a good picture of who your earthly father is, um, but you have a good father in heaven who loves you. He cares about you. Uh, as a father has compassion on those who love him, uh, he separates their sin as far as the east is from the west. He, he loves them from the depths to the heights. Uh, read Psalm 103. Uh, I also just love what Jesus even said. He's like, if, if fathers know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who love Him and ask of Him? I just love that. So may we go out not discouraged. May we go out excited and encouraged that in our weakness He is strong and that we can be parents and singles and children who honor the Lord by honoring and obeying those in authority above us. Uh, But we can't do it on our own. We need our good Father to go with us. So I want to read uh, the doxology from Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time now and forevermore. Amen and amen. Amen. Have a blessed week.
1: probably one